When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Controversy surrounds him. He's been around the world and back again. Something in the moonlight still hounds him. Handy dandy, just like sugar and candy. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about Handy Dandy, a very fun track from 1990s underrated album, Under the Red Sky, is fellow Bobcat, Matt Simonson. Hi, Matt. Hi, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I am very excited to be talking about Handy Dandy. <laughs> yeah, me too. I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> so uh, I have to ask you something that's been on my mind since we, were, we first uh, talked uh, online. About you mentioned that you heard about this show through uh, past guest Matt Steichen. That's and, right. And he introduced you to the show. So are you guys in like a Matt S club? Like, what is that about? <laughs> I don't know. It seemed a little Is this like a Buckaroo Banzai thing? Like, what's going on? Yeah, we aren't, but uh, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe we should uh, start up a club in uh, central Minnesota and see how large we can grow the membership. I was like, am I going to hear from a third Matthew Matthew Smith? They're like, what's going on? Let's go with the Matt S's up there in, in Minnesota. But, okay, good to know. And then thank you, Matt Steichen, for introducing the show to to this Matt. I really appreciate it. I, 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 that's, uh, that's just terrific. So, of course, you haven't been on the show before, so i got to ask you, how would you become a fan? Well, I – Became a fan of Bob Dylan twice, actually, once without really realizing it, because like a lot of people, I heard Bob Dylan first through the Traveling Wilburys, and I was a big Tom Petty fan at the time, recognized him, and was just getting into music, so wasn't familiar with some of the other celebrities in the Traveling Wilburys, but I remember commenting to my friend, I really like that one guy with a kind of different voice, and (laughs) Tweeter and the Monkey Man was my favorite, and this was all pre-internet. Um, so I didn't really follow through and uh, figure out who it was. Uh, but I distinctly remember in 1993, I heard the rim shot from like a Rolling Stone while I was driving in the car. And I just went into a trance. And I just remember <laughs> the song reached out of the radio and grabbed me. And I listened to the whole six minutes and nine seconds. And the next thing I knew when it was over, I was sitting at my destination. So hopefully I was driving safely. But the radio <laughs> didn't say who the singer was and i had no idea and of course my my friends at that time in high school in the early 90s were kind of worthless in terms of understanding <laughs> who the uh, greatest uh, lyricist of our time is um, but i did finally hear it again on the radio and they said bob dylan i said great i went out and bought the greatest hits and i loved every song on the greatest hits so i did the logical next step of every kid in the 90s i taped my penny to my columbia house postcard ah yes <laughs> send it in and I got two albums. I got the Freewheeling Bob Dylan, and I got Good As I've Been to You. And without that's a, any. That's a real, a real alpha and omega of choices there. And I just remember when I put Good As I've Been to You on, because I had heard Blowing in the Wind from the Greatest Hits, so I was um, familiar with Freewheeling. Uh, but when I put Good As I've Been to You on, I really was kind of surprised at what I was hearing. I think I double checked the CD to make sure I got the right one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just thought, wow. There's a lot to this guy, so it's uh, it's going to be a fun ride. 
Oh, well, that's that's <laughs> that's really cool. Now, did you get more albums via the Columbia Record and Tape Club, or was it just the two? I did. No, I eventually went back, and then I just that was kind of all I ordered through Columbia House until I <laughs> uh, I dutifully fulfilled my subscription. Unlike a lot of people, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there's a lot of crookedness going on with the Columbia. So, so somewhere out there, I think I probably paid 19.99 with shipping for Self Portrait or um, the uh, Empire Burlesque album. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. You know, they can't. Still, they can't, it's still a good deal. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It, it, it all balances out, really, when you when you, you know, all the aggregate the cost. It all balances out. So, uh, well, that's that's awesome. Now, have you seen him live? I have. I uh, saw him first, uh, April twenty sixth, nineteen ninety four, in Sioux City, Iowa. And uh, the first song I ever heard live was Joker Man, which I thought was just amazing. It was one of mm-hmm. my favorite songs. And and you'll be happy to know he played Joey at that concert too. <laughs> um, He's uh, doing but, all the J.O. songs, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Um, I've, I've probably seen him 25 times since then. Wow. Uh, the oh, wow. Year, so. Okay. Now, again, I like to, I love to ask people, uh, when you did, did you go, the people that you took with you, did the, presumably you had some of those shows you've been with people, uh, you've taken people, are they f- other fans or are they people who are kind of like, what's this about? I mean, are they having a good time too? They are. They're either they're either fans themselves or they're people who love me enough that they're going to have a good time regardless of how the concert goes. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. When did you? When was the most recent time you saw him? Uh, my wife and I went on our anniversary, October twenty fourth. Uh, we saw him in the Mankato Civic Center. Um, Very nice. So you saw him right at the tail end before everything went all pear shaped. We did, and I have to tell you, it was just one of the best shows I've seen him do. Um, oh yeah, he was really cooking incredible. at the end of last year. Oh, that's fantastic. Now. I also know you You happen to have also gone to the World of Bob Dylan, uh, what, what was it, a seminar? I don't know what they called it, the the the, the program. What, what, what's the term for it out there in Tulsa? Yeah, it was called the World of Bob Dylan, and uh, they had opened up for academics, uh, people to submit papers or presentations. I, I did not do that, but I decided to go down um, and just listen to the presentations, and they included – a tour at the Gilcrease um, Museum where they're housing the archives. Uh, we didn't get to go through the archives, but we did see some some art exhibits. Um, we got to see um, the um, portraits, the latest portraits, the Drawn Blank series that he mm-hmm. had done. Saw the physical notebooks from the Blood on the Tracks oh. sessions. Did they have um, light emanating from them? Or did they? They did. There was an aura that was just, uh, <laughs> yeah. and they were really, really tiny, probably no bigger than the size of a of an iPhone. And hmm. so really, really kind of surprising. They had the Shakespeare in the Alley session where they had these very long canvases hanging from the ceiling that um, they had printed the lyrics to the words. And you're just confronted with the, you know, the majesty and the, sheer immensity of of these songs it's kind of interesting looking at visions of johanna hanging from uh you know 25 foot ceiling hmm. all there in front of you it's kind of an interesting experience got to meet all kinds of fun people from all over the country and um met uh, bill pagel uh, who runs ah, the, the bob link site that was right. that was kind of nice i told him hey i've been you know logging into your site every day since september of 95 or 96 or yeah that was. was a very that's a very transformative moment for any bob fan to discover that that the wealth of information it was and i I'm, I'm really excited it sounds like they're going to have another one next year um and probably have the world of bob dylan 
uh, celebration every two years. So it's something I'm definitely looking forward to going to again. Yeah, I, I have heard that that was the plan to do it every every two years. And I, uh, my, my buddy, uh, Dan Eaker, who I've been seeing Bob concerts with for a quarter century, we talked about that if they did another one, we would like to go. So that's something that's on our radar. If any of us can travel uh, mm-hmm. ever again, uh, that would be awesome to do. So that was really cool. I mean, so you ultimately found it was a rewarding experience? It was. I had no regrets of going. I would definitely go again. Um, and they and they made it special. Um, you know, they they pulled some songs out from the archive that none of the regular fans had ever heard before. So oh, you got wow. to hear the first version of All Along the Watchtower. They played, um, you know, uh, snippets of it, maybe 30 seconds or so. We heard the first take of Love Sick. Hmm. Uh, we heard an alternate version of New Pony. And then there were some other songs that they played. They showed some video from the supper clubs that were really incredible uh, when he was playing Tight Connection to My Heart. Mm-hmm. And um, and then uh, they played some video from the new morning sessions. And they talked about how uh, these handheld Panasonic uh, film recorders had just come out and somebody had one. And it was very unbelievable seeing Bob Dylan in the studio recording new morning. It's just not something you ever really thought was in existence or was available and there it was right in front of you yeah i never i've never heard that i didn't know that 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 stuff existed that would be amazing to watch to actually watch that i've seen bits and pieces of stuff and it just feels so amazing because you feel like you're really getting a peek i mean there's all there's so many photos from like the 50s excuse me the 50s from the 60s but when you're talking Mm -hmm. about anything past that time pretty much everything past blonde on blonde it gets harder and harder to find of him you know, actually in the studio doing stuff. That's really cool. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And uh, Michael Chaikin was there. He he presented. He's the curator of the museum. Uh, he spoke and then he stood there and people came up and asked all kinds of questions. I, I personally asked him about the 1978 tapes and he indicated that there were quite a few of the concerts still in existence because there's a rumor going around that they were erased. But he said, no, we've got we've got plenty of those there. And while we were there, I talked to um, Terry Gans, who has an upcoming book coming out on the Infidel Sessions called Surviving oh, I can't, in the Ruthless oh, World. I can't wait already to pre-ordered. read that. Yeah, I pre-ordered that, and I spoke with him. He did a, a presentation on Foot of Pride, which is one of my favorite songs. Oh, oh boy. And uh, when I was uh, talking to him, Michael said something from the stage, and he said, yeah, you should talk to Terry. Terry's the one that found the uh, transcripts to I'm Cold. From 1977. Whoa. So you can imagine how I'm just like, I, I am just like a kid in a candy store Whoa. on Christmas Eve. Uh, <laughs> I didn't just, know there were such a thing. I didn't know those existed. So it is. Yeah. It, it, the transcript script exists. Uh, it doesn't sound like there's a recording that they found yet, but definitely the song is real and the transcript is in existence at the Oh, archive. wow. I'm learning so many new things. Thank you, man. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> now I really so, got to yes. go to the next one. <laughs> yes. So it was definitely worth it uh, to go down there. Um, That's fantastic. Sur- surpassed all expectations. Oh, that, yeah, that is fantastic. All right. Well, I got to make a mental note. I got to <laughs> do that yeah. if they do it next year. So, well, that that is just fantastic. That's an awesome story. Except like 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 you, that's how... I discovered Bob was through the Woolberries, and I had that same reaction that you did. I was like, you know, I like all these songs, but I really <laughs> like those ones by the Dylan guy. I got to yeah. look into this. Uh, Tudor and the Monkey Man, Dirty World, those are the, those are the best ones. So, mm-hmm. well, that, that's fantastic. So, all right. So, we're here to talk about Handy Dandy from Under the Red Sky, an album that so far is relatively underserved here on Pod Dylan. It just doesn't get that many, not that many people uh, pick songs from it. We have done uh, Born in Time. 
Uh, and I, that might be the only one that we've covered at this point. I'd have to go back and look. Um, and then there's always people on Twitter who uh, are constantly advocating for wiggle wiggle, but nobody, <laughs> no, nobody's no, that brave. <laughs> no, nobody's that brave yet. Uh, it, that will be that will be. I will be crossing some sort of uh, Rubicon by yeah. for this show by finding a way to do it. In, like, maybe 20 minutes on wiggle wiggle, but that's for that's for that, a later date. That so, might be Pod Dylan number 510 or whatever the total <laughs> number of songs. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. So, but anyway, Handy Dandy is. Um, in a lot of ways, my favorite song off of this record. I think it's it's a um, it's a really fun tune. Uh, it's got that wonderful Al Cooper organ, which makes it sound like like a Rolling Stone. So I I, uh, I read off the the opening verse. It continues on handy dandy. If every bone in his body was broken, he would never admit it. You got an all girl orchestra, and when he says strike up the band, they hit it. Handy dandy, handy dandy. You say, what are you made of? He says, can you repeat what you said? You'll say, what are you afraid of? He'll say, nothing, neither live nor dead. So, okay, Matt, like in your mind, what do you think Handy Dandy is about? Well, I think at the end of the day, Handy Dandy, the person, is one of those enigmatic people who's just a riddle. He's somebody that is bigger than life. He's somebody that everybody is aware of. Um, you can't pin him down. He's just someone that uh, is very difficult to really describe. He's maybe fluid, maybe changing. Um, and when I look at the lyrics, there are certain people that jump out in my head almost on a verse-by-verse -verse basis, and it's not the same person every time. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I like about this song is when you know I hear every bone in his body was broken, he would never admit it. It kind of sounds like someone like Evil Knievel. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I've read a lot about um, the all-girl orchestra. People think, oh, that sounds like Prince. Prince, right. That I've heard, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's interesting. The next line is when he says strike up the band, they hit it. Mm -hmm. And who says strike up the band? I was thinking, I'm, I'm very familiar with that phrase. And, of course, in uh, Warren Zevon's song. Warren Zevon, Johnny strikes up the band, yeah. And Johnny strikes up the band. And when you look at the musicians on this song, Waddy Wachtel is playing lead guitar <laughs> on Handy Dandy. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that maybe that's random, maybe, maybe not. But uh, who knows? Um, and there's another person. So in the next line, what are you made of? Can you repeat what you said? You know, I've heard people talking about Ronald Reagan being mentioned in this song. So this was coming, you know, the album came out in the 90s. The songs were probably written around 88, 89. The Reagan era was winding down. You know, there's the verse later about uh, sitting in the garden with a girl named Nancy feeling oh, kind of we'll, lazy. We'll get to that. I love that line. Um, but, you know, one of the things Reagan did was when people would ask him a question that he maybe didn't want to answer, he would kind of say, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? You know, playing on the hard of hearingness and that little kind of trick. Um, but just that last line in there, what what are you afraid of? Nothing, neither alive nor dead. It's just that bravado that, uh, you know, there's, there's nobody that's going to pin me down. Uh, swagger that this song's got and uh you know i think as we keep going through these um there's there's more and more people that jump out but it, it's definitely his most interesting character i think in any one of his songs right up there with with joker man and i think the song is structured in a way to where it may not be a single person he's talking about but amalgamation of many people or an archetype uh obviously including himself in there um 
And, uh, and I think that is what I really like about the song is just, just so many sides and so many angles to it and trying to figure out, you know, who, who are these people or who pops into my head when some of these, uh, verses are racked off. Well, yeah, right. When you see, when you said, you know, what pops in your head when you heard it. Now, for this for this record, uh, under the red sky. I mean, obviously, purposely, a lot of the language is very simple. In fact, it's nursery rhyme kind of stuff. Uh, whether it's you know, there was a little boy and there was a little girl, and they lived in a valley under the red sky, or or the aforementioned wiggle wiggle, or um, you know, you were striped, you were plain. Like the language is is stripped simple, almost to you know, stripped to the bone. And uh, some of the songs to me are just completely baffling, like to uh, 10,000 men. I have no idea what that is. No clue. You know, <laughs> I've heard that song a bunch of times. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Handy dandy, though, I felt like I grabbed onto it quickly. And and to me, it's like this is, again, this is what it means to me. It's sort of funny. I, when I was doing research for this, there were there were people out there that were like, you bunch of idiots. Of course, it's about this person. You know, the people are so certain of who they know it's about. I'm over on um, Tony Atwood's site, uh, which which I love, I was reading the comments where he was talking about this song and like a bunch of people are coming back and forth. And then some commenter was like, you morons, it's totally Andy Warhol. How can you not know that? You know, <laughs> and there's something so wonderful about Bob's work that it can make people that certain. You know, mm-hmm. that <laughs> they figured it out and everyone else, you don't know. To me, this song has always been Bob Dylan's portrait of himself, but through the eyes of someone else. That to me is what the song is about. It is somebody else, what Bob Dylan looks, what he thinks he looks like through the eyes of other people. And I feel like there's these, I mean, the strike up the, the line about the all-girl orchestra. Yeah. You could say that's a Prince thing and maybe, but certainly, you know, Bob's band was all men, but his backup singers were all women Mm -hmm. for the longest time. Now he had, he had gotten rid of them by this point, but nevertheless, through the late seventies and into the eighties, he was using them when he talks about, um, he's got a stick in his hand and a pocket full of money. Well, I've often seen Bob photographed with a cane. Uh, he doesn't use one. He doesn't, as far as I know, he doesn't require the use of one, but I've seen him photographed with one quite a bit. A pocket full of money, pretty obvious, you know, <laughs> he's got a pocket full of money. Um, and then when he gets to the line of it, he's got that creel crystal fountain. He's got that soft, silky skin. He's got that fortress on the mountain with no doors, no window, no thieves can break in. To me, I'm like, he's talking about his house. He's talking about that weird Santa Monica, onion, yeah. Yeah, he's talking about that weird <laughs> onion domed house that he has that apparently is like some massive compound. And to me, it's like he is sort of pulling back and saying, What does someone think of Bob Dylan? Not Bob Dylan, the person, you know, somebody's father, somebody's husband, somebody's son, but the figure. You know, the figure of Bob Dylan, the the icon that is Bob Dylan. The way uh, you know, in the when he keeps saying uh, handy dandy, just like sugar and candy. And it's like, well, sugar and candy are objects. You know, they're just, they're, they're, they're just, they're just things that you can go and buy. And so to me, it's like he is viewing himself as a, as a, as a piece of product, you know, the Bob Dylan. I mean, now he's, now he's, he's a brand. We even talked about that. We even did a Mm -hmm. show about that. And I feel like, this is a little bit of a piece with the song Unbelievable, which is on the side one of the album, which seems to be about the record industry to me, about the degrade, degradation of the record industry. But here, he's, he's, to me, that's what I'm doing. He's viewing himself. And so 
there's that. I just think it's a fun thing to listen to hear Bob Dylan sort of comment about what he thinks other people think he is, which to me is really fun. Um, the arrangement, I think, is just really catchy. I love the backup singers on it. And then I also love the way that he kind of plays around where he jams the words into slots much faster than they can really fit. <laughs> and my favorite line is that line you just quoted where he goes, handy dandy, sitting with a girl named Nancy in a garden feeling kind of lazy. Every single time I try and sing that line, I can't get it right because it's he's jamming so many words. But he manages to do it. And he says, you want a gun? I'll give you one. She says, boy, you're talking crazy, handy dandy. Just So to me, this song has always been that. It's always been this is what Bob Dylan thinks other people think Bob Dylan is, which to me is really fun. It's a really, really fun. And the way that it occupies the record, it's the penultimate song. It just has this fun uplift before it gets kind of grim with Cats in the Well. But that to me, that's what the song's always been about. Now, you're going through this list, Prince and Warren Zevon and Ronald Reagan. I love all those observations. And it could be any of those people because, of course, handy dandy, the phrase means easy something that's easy and you're thinking is he looking at uh, other people out there as objects that are easy to digest or people think because obviously ronald reagan had a very kind of simplistic persona Mm -hmm. in terms of you know everything's all right well you know right you know he had that kind of thing and so i could see that and he's you and again he's using the simplistic kind of um nursery rhyme language to do it on this on, on this particular record because that fit the theme of what he was doing. So th- to me, that's what the song is always about. And that's one of the reasons I love it. Cause it's like, it's just a really fun Bob Dylan song. And there aren't that many to me fun Bob Dylan songs. No, that's one of the things that attracts me to this song is if somebody said to me, you know, you've heard people say there's a Dylan song for every emotion. <laughs> this one is almost pure joy in a mm-hmm. kind of a devilish kind of uh, ne'er do well way. Uh, it, it's just a song you can't help smile mm-hmm. when you're listening to. And there's that point in the song, it starts out and he's kind of going through it. And then uh, when he kicks it in at the end, it just starts cooking. And you really hear him kind of just leaning into those lyrics. Um, I counted up the, the number of words in the first stanza before the chorus and there's 20. And then when he gets to the garden with Nancy, he squeezes 31 <laughs> words into the, into the same meter. So he's really, and, and you know, as well as anybody, there's nobody as dexterous with their phrasing oh, as man. Bob Dylan. And it's the yeah. thing I love about him the most. I, I mean, once, you know, you've heard the story, somebody asked Tony Bennett if Bob Dylan could sing. And he said, well, I don't know if he can sing, but he sure can phrase. And, that's, <laughs> and please, please edit my terrible Tony Bennett impression. But, but I think that's true. I, who, other than Sinatra, who can phrase like Bob Dylan? And, yeah. and who, where does he show it off more than this song? Maybe Foot of Pride's another good example. Oh, or, I, I, that is another amazing example. Um, but, and I just love it. And, and when he gets going and he's squeezing these in, I, I just, every time I catch myself smiling <laughs> and, yeah. uh, yeah. And so I, I think you brought up some really good points. Um, the album with, with the simplicity on the surface, the whole album seems like nursery rhymes and it seems mm-hmm. like it was written for a child. And if you look a little bit at Bob Dylan's personal life, you know, that he had a young child at that time who I think was probably around 
three, four years old when these songs were written. Right, right. Uh, if you open up the liner notes, you can see that it's dedicated to Gabby Goo Goo, um, <laughs> which Gabrielle's the middle name of of his child. And then if you go back to your favorite album, Knocked Out Loaded, in 1986, <laughs> right, right, and, right. And you and you look, you find that uh, there was a special thanks to Baby Boo Boo. So right, it's probably right. Baby Boo Boo grew up to be Gabby Goo Goo. Um, <laughs> And you can just hear him in 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 a Bob Dylan way saying, "Well, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll create an album for my child here," um, and then having such uh, you know simple sounding lyrics that are, are so dense and so packed with meaning. Uh, and that's exactly what nursery rhymes are—the original ones, not mm-hmm. the watered down ones that uh, people read to their kids today. But the Grimm Brothers' mm-hmm. original ones were dark, and they were dirty and they were warnings to people about how to curb your behavior and stay out of trouble and what to be aware of. And, you know, of course, Bob Dylan's familiar with those. And in his own way, he, he puts out these, um, quote unquote, nursery rhyme songs, uh, but like TV talking song, uh, it's as packed with as much warning as any other song he's ever mm-hmm. put out. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that too. And uh, I really like your view that, uh, you know, this is, uh, his view of himself in the eyes of other people um, because he himself is one of those enigmatic people that's larger than life and an Mm -hmm. enigma wrapped inside of a mystery inside of a riddle uh, as well. I like the idea that uh, there's so much, there's so much to respond to on that. First of all, I do um, for I, you mentioned the liner notes. Um, I got this as, as I did back at the, back in the day, uh, I got all Bob Dylan's albums for the first time on cassette because that was, um, still at the time, kind of mm, right or wrong with CDs, the preeminent format. And Under the Red Sky is the only Bob Dylan record I know of that features the lyrics to his to these songs. Uh, I, I can't think of another record that ever did that. And it features this picture of him sitting on like a stoop uh, in a black and white blurry photo, uh, which is always funny to me. because Bob loves blurry photos of himself. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what that's about. But uh, that I always thought that was interesting that they were making it for an album where, to me, his diction is actually crystal clear, um, then they chose to include lyrics. You know, <laughs> like you know, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I mean, it, like, oh, it might have helped on on "Oh Mercy," but for "Under the Under the Red Sky," and around the same time, uh, Bob had recorded a a a song for a Disney uh, benefit album. It was produced by Disney, and it was uh, it was for I think it was to raise money for children's. Uh, oh yeah, children with this, cancer. This and old did, man. Yeah, he did this old man, and it's it's sort of funny because this old man, outside of it being a song that everybody knows, would fit right in on Under the Red Sky. <laughs> it it <laughs> <You> would. <know? laughs> yeah, and th- and that's the one that's uh, that's uh, subtitled "This Old Man." Uh, Bob Dylan goes to war with the drum machine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, so he was really playing in that in that garden. I like the idea that uh, that he was maybe making a sort of record for you know for like his for like his little girl. That's a funny idea. I haven't really thought about that, but I do remember at the time reading the for Gabby Google and being like, "What the hell is that? What is he? What the hell is he talking about?" And I'm still waiting for my uh, special um, interpretive notes. Uh, that was the album where it said you could write in uh, for a few select limited fans. Uh, you could get some uh, some detailed notes from the artist on the on the song, <laughs> <laughs> which is another great prank. It was probably uh, 
is probably a trick, um, like the uh, like Mao pulled, where he just wanted to see who was going to write in so he could get them on the on the warning uh, list. <laughs> I, I do <laughs> I do enjoy artists that have that sort of impish sense of not to get too far off this, but it, rem- it that does remind me a little bit. I I never wrote into that. I always I just was <laughs> like, what the hell? But it does remind me a little bit of um, the Cohen brothers. The Coen Brothers, uh, when they released Blood Simple, I think it was, on DVD or Blu-ray, whatever, I think it was DVD, there's a commentary track on that film by some film historian, professor, and it's Mm -hmm. made up. That guy's not real. It's just a guy they hired. (laughs) It's not a real guy. You know? And you're kind of like, well, what what are you going to do? Go to movie jail? I mean, what's the difference? So, (laughs) whatever here. So, Bob has that same same sense of of impish delight in the city. I think... When he does that line, when he jams that line together, the city where they're going, it's a garden feeling kind of lazy. And even, I mean, he even jams so many words in just so he can stretch out lazy at the end, too, which is very funny. But again, I like the idea that in the song, Handy Dandy is capitalized. So it's a proper name. You know, I mean, in the definition, it's not a name, but here he's, he's referring to a specific person or people, it's someone that he knows. And, of course, you know, Bob Dylan in the 60s was a bit of a dandy. He liked to dress in those polka dot shirts and, you know, he walked around with a top hat sometimes. So, again, I think he, he likes, likes that kind of um, – he also likes that kind of person, I think. So. And Prince is a bit of that as well. Um, I don't think we got to the, the final verse here where he says, Handy dandy, you got a basket of flowers and a bag full of sorrow. He finishes his drink. He gets up from the table. He says, okay, boys, I'll see you tomorrow. Handy dandy, just like sugar and candy. And again, I always took that to Bob talking about himself because to me, a basket of flowers and a bag full of sorrow is good and bad. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you'd like flowers are nice, but a bag full of sorrow. And to me, it's like that could be a bag. You know, it's like uh, songs. You know, I mean, some of them are nice. Some of them are not so nice. So it depends on what he wants to hand you. And then the finish of the drink, he gets on the table. OK, boys, I'll see you tomorrow. That to me is I imagine that's what Bob says at the end of every night with the concerts. Okay, boys, I'll see see you tomorrow. tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's the character is definitely a character. And, you know, Handy Dandy itself, um, there are nursery rhymes. Um, I I looked up what the exact words were, but it's Handy Spandy Jack a Dandy. Loves plum cake and sugar candy. He bought some at the grocer's shop and out he came. Hop, hop, hop. Hmm. So I'm sure he was reading through a lot of these um, children's books and a lot of these uh, nursery rhymes. And I think one of the things that really put some pieces together for me about Bob Dylan and his art and how he creates his art um, was during No Direction Home, that scene where he walks across the pet store shop and he sees those three signs, the we will collect clip, Bait oh, and right, return your right, dog, right. cigarettes and tobacco, animals and birds bought or sold on commission. Yep. And he just, you can just see the input into his brain and he mixes it up and he's I want to smoke with my dog. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's really how he works. And he's just a person who is very open and receptive and he is a very efficient conduit. And his his magic and his creation process is to take all of those inputs and put them together in a way that he can release them back into something that means so much and is so densely packed with meaning and expression and feeling 
that it just blows people away. And I, and this song is something I think he was probably doing that too. Uh, I looked a little bit um, at what was going on in his life. You know, he's, he just turned 50 and like everybody just right. turning 50, it's, it's cause for reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a new toddler at home. And let's face it, he was at probably one of the lowest points uh, in his career around the time he was probably starting to write some of these songs. I know Mercy and the Wilburys um, were popular, but just in general, there had to have been some looming disappointment from the, from the 80s output and perception. Uh, you know, he was playing Bob Dylan's Dream in concert at the time for the first time in years, which mm. totally makes you think that, hey, maybe he was looking back and then this song, you know, with the, with the organ overdub, Al Cooper coming in. It's great. It's a great, uh, it's, that it's, sounds hey, fantastic. Like, like a Rolling Stone, you know, and he's not one for nostalgia, but, you know, maybe there was something there where he wanted to recapture some of that sound. And it's interesting. There's another alternate version that's floating around on right. YouTube that, that does not contain the organ overdubs. No. No. And for the most part, the lyrics are the same, except I think in the release version, they cut out some of the um, handy dandy, just like sugar and candy, uh, repeating lines in the chorus. But what's really interesting and what really brings it back to like a Rolling Stone is in between some of the verses on the alternate version, you can hear him in between with his, ow, or, <laughs> and, and it reminds me so much of like a Rolling Stones. My favorite parts of that song are in between the lines. Yes. It's like, yeah. oh, you, you know, and he really, you can just feel him getting ready to gear up. And, and it's in this song too, in the same honest, uh, deep, deep feeling way that he gets into it in like a Rolling Stone. He's into it at the end of this song as well. And, and I just love it. And, and again, it just makes me smile. I'm smiling right now, hearing the song in my head and looking at the lyrics. And and I think that this really, I, I think it really captured what he was looking for at the time um, in terms of sound and in terms of having that feeling again. And then it does kind of bring it back to another character that comes to my mind as well, which is Andy Warhol. And Andy Warhol did play a part in both Like a Rolling Stone and I think in this song too. So obviously the, uh, the diplomat with the, with the, uh, Siamese cat, a lot of people think that is Andy Warhol hmm. in Like a Rolling Stone. And he was involved with E.D. Sedgwick and sure, had the sure. power. I, w- I don't know if I call it a love triangle as much as a power struggle <laughs> between <laughs> the two, but. You want to talk about two enigmatic characters um, in the 60s. You know, there's the whole history of of the uh, silent, um, you know, screen print that Dylan went in and right. sat there. <laughs> and then he decides to take the Elvis painting as a, um, as a compensation without really being offered. And the, uh, you know, the, the bootleg series, um, uh, the big blue box that had the, the book shows the pictures of him loading an original Andy Warhol uh, silk screen of Elvis onto the top of his car and <laughs> tying it around and driving off to his home uh, out in Woodstock. Um, it's just inc- incredible, the two. And, and, I, and again, I go back to that scene in the pet store uh, with all these things. You know, Bob Dylan's not a simple person, and he is an open conduit. You know, if he's having these nostalgic feelings, he's reading all of these uh, fairy tales, he's... Um, you know, trying to recapture some 
um, some magic. Uh, maybe he was at a down point in his career. Then Andy Warhol dies. And 1987, Andy Warhol dies. And there was a big retrospective in New York City between February and May of 1989. And Bob was touring in New York in uh, July, those dates. So it's very possible he may have uh, walked into that, may have seen it, may have, you know, thought about some of those things. And uh, one of the things I remember reading about in Chronicles that really jumped out was the section where he was talking about the basketball player, Pete Maravich. And he mentions that. And I remember reading that thinking, well, there was a connection I never really made. <laughs> uh, but Pete Maravich had died when he was 40, uh, something early forties in a pickup basketball game, heart attack. And Bob said it really kind of shook him a little bit. And that night he went on and he wrote dignity. Um, but it was interesting. I looked that the time of death between when Pete Maravich died and when O Mercy was eventually released matches up to the time that Andy Warhol died and then under the red sky. So I do think wow. there might've been some things going on or just some, I'm sure it was something very personal to him. Um, just kind of being one of those people who could reasonably understand what it was like to be a celebrity or like what it was like to be Bob Dylan. And I, I do think that there are some things in there that really do make me think of Andy Warhol. So Andy, obviously, handy dandy, Andy, mm -hmm, again, mm -hmm. all that wordplay, handy dandy, humpty dumpty. Um, you know, they, there's the riddle, um, in marble walls as white as milk, lined with a skin as soft as silk, within a fountain crystal clear, a golden apple doth appear. No doors hey. there are to this stronghold, yet thieves break in and steal the gold. It's a riddle about an egg, <laughs> you know, and you just think of all these things going into Bob Dylan's head. And I think, I think all these things were probably inputs and then out comes handy dandy. And if you ask Bob and tried to pin him down, he would say, I have no idea where these things come right. from because <laughs> right, to Bob yeah. Dylan, it's just like, well, this is just Tuesday. I read something newspaper. I think about things. I go through my normal life and i interact with my family i talk to my friends i work and then i write these songs and i don't know where they come from but you know seeing that uh, pet scene shot uh in uh in um in the scorsese movie no direction home i think that's how he works and i think that's part of his creative process so i don't think that handy dandy is about a single person that he knows in his real life but i do really think that there are a lot of people that are impressive to him or make an impression on him that end up coming out into these songs. Wow. That's a, I, I, well done. Uh, I like the, the notes from the Alice in Wonderland. That's a really great, or <laughs> Humpty Dumpty. That's an amazing catch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he has said in interviews, he just, in the recent interviews he did, or I think the one interview he did to promote <laughs> Rough and Rowdy Ways, <laughs> one where he said these songs, they just sort of come to him. They don't really, you know, he doesn't have like some sort of process where he, you know, sits down at a typewriter or, or where you might got a word processor. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Bob Dylan on like an iPad, you know, typing things out? I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. Um, <laughs> But just, yeah, I mean, something happens, something, he reads something on a Tuesday, uh, and, you know, and then all of a sudden Saturday he gets a thought for a line and he might not even himself know where that thought came from, but it, it occurs to him now. So let me jot it down. 
So thank so, God he doesn't use an iPad where you can just very easily erase your thoughts. And, yeah, I know. Uh, That's change. true. Yeah. Because so much is available um, from his uh, draft and his uh, sketches and his um, chicken scratches through his lyrics. <laughs> uh, I was flipping through my uh, lyrics book. And there's actually a photo in one of the pages around the Under the Red Sky um, chapter with alternate lyrics to Handy Dandy. I don't know if you've seen those before. No, I haven't. So I, some of them aren't um, legible, um, but, but there are some that are very interesting. And I think your comment is spot on earlier when you said that uh, one angle in this might be Dylan's perception of himself through the eyes of other people. In Christopher Rick's book, uh, Visions of Sin, he highlights Handy Dandy and associates it with the sin of envy. Uh, where hmm. He's talking about um, people are jealous of Handy Dandy. He's got this, he's got that, he's got everything. And and you think about Handy Dandy. Handy Dandy is a very enigmatic person. He's kind of someone who gets away with everything. He comes and he goes. He's never held accountable for anything. He's kind of a <laughs> kind of a good time Charlie. And uh, you can see where, yeah, it'd be kind of fun to be handy dandy. You know, he has a drink, gets up from the table, says, okay, boys, I'll see you tomorrow. No consequences to my day. And then you look back at the lyrics and like, well, that's quite a life he, he's been living. Uh, but some of these alternate lyrics, um, you know, as you say that, um, I think I think part of this is Bob Dylan himself, because like everybody, I'm sure he thinks about himself and his life. And I think at this time, he really was probably looking back a, a lot as he was turning 50. Uh, but I can read some of these here uh, that are really cool. One is Handy Dandy, a tower of strength and stability. He does it with mirrors, but he doesn't really. <laughs> and then he said, uh, he does it, uh, and then there's a bunch of chicken scratches, and he says, uh, but he doesn't have to lie. He's so full of humility. So, <laughs> so I think that's a great one. And that, that line is, that he, is really good. He does it with mirrors, but he doesn't really. I mean, that is there a more Bob Dylan line than that? <laughs> and again, that's a line that most artists would uh, hang a career on, and it doesn't right, even, yeah. <laughs> So then there's handy dandy, compulsive and healthy, plausible, obsessive, automatic, blowing his horn for the girls and running them up to the attic. Oh, so, my God. Oh, and now I wish there was a whole other version with all these verses in it. For Pete's sakes, Bob. Oh, my God. So handy dandy. Does he wear sun, dark sunglasses? Well, yeah, maybe. Does he know that he's gullible, ignorant, and blind? Well, yeah, maybe. You're Santa. <laughs> And I, and I don't know about that, your, your Santa, but I thought that was interesting. And the then it's sunglasses. Like, yeah. And then uh, there's know. a line in there is like, how much do you weigh? Which, you know, is a loaded question in and of mm -hmm. itself. And then the last one I really like too, he said, he's in a room full of people and suddenly nobody's cheering. He says, come on, baby, let's both take the wheel to this car. It don't matter who is steering. And I, I can I can hear him I can hear him cramming those those uh, words into the meter, and that one reminds me a little bit of Brownsville Girl, and you know when he put um, Santa Claus. Let's hope that the roof stays on. Yeah. Let's hope that the roof stays on. And you know, one of the things that I had kind of jotted down when I was thinking about all of this was what other characters does Bob Dylan talk about or portray that are similar. And one that popped in my head is from my favorite video, which is Must Be Santa. <laughs> who, who who is the Bob Dylan character in the Must Be Santa video? 
And in a lot of ways, he, he's kind of like a handy dandy. You don't know where he came from. He's just there. He's, he's everywhere. He's, he's yeah. everywhere. He's holding up the drinks. He's polka dancing. He's, yep. he's watching the bar fight. He knows Santa Claus. And I, I think handy dandy is kind of one, <laughs> one of those people that, uh, he, again, you just can't pin down who he is, but he's endlessly fascinating. And he's someone you want to be close to and know and maybe even be, but you, you wouldn't even know how to start. Oh, man. Now, hearing all those alternate verses, which are fantastic. Those are just great. And it shows you, again, how much how much effort he pours into any given song. You think about how many songs he's cranked out, and yeah. he puts this many alternate lyrics on a song that, you know, most people don't even know. You know, I mean, this was, this was not like this was a single or anything. But um, your, your, your mentioning of the alternate lyrics rem- reminds me of something I wanted to bring up, which is, is that in the Telltale Signs box set, uh, which I mentioned previously, it's interesting to me that Under the Red Sky is basically completely ignored in terms of mm-hmm. what material is on that set. It goes from the Oh Mercy session. Now, it does have the alternate versions of Born in Time, which ended up appearing on Under the Red Sky, but those were recorded for Oh Mercy originally. And so the that set jumps from Oh Mercy over Under the Red Sky, ignoring it completely and going right up to Time Out of Mind and then later on. And I thought that was curious is that Telltale Signs was presumably meant to be a snapshot of Bob Dylan's work around that time. And yet it completely omits this album. And so it makes me think, well, you know, there is that other version of Handy Dandy that that exists that you mentioned, which is relatively uh, similar to this one lyrically. But and then I think, is there another version with all these verses? It seems likely that there might be that he was bopping around the studio and recorded, uh, you know, another version. We, we know for certain that there was a song written for under, during the under, Red, under the red sky sessions called Shirley Temple don't live here anymore, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Ha, have anyone has seen uh, at, at well, all? Well, the, well, the producers, uh, the was not was brothers, yeah, yeah. they, they ended up releasing it. Um, I think they, um, yeah, I think, I think they released that song. Oh, did they really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And they covered it themselves. They did. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Cause oh, I, I gotta go re- look that up now. And I think maybe they, they changed it to Mr. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Okay. Uh, one way or the other, it, it switched. But it's interesting you mentioned that because Don Waz gave an interview in uncut back in uh, February, 2015, and he was talking about handy dandy. And he said they cut that one, Cats in the Well, and 10,000 Men in the same afternoon. But he said before Handy Dandy, Bob remarked how he'd been to a Miles Davis session, which who knows if he had or not. (laughs) But he said the band improvised for an hour, and then the producer cut it into coherent five-minute pieces um, for songs. And he said, so we decided to try something similar (laughs) and get ready for this. He said, Handy Dandy was originally 34 minutes long. (laughs) Columbia could release a bootleg series box of just the unexpurgated. Oh, oh, you're gonna have to edit this. <laughs> I think it's unexpurgated, I believe. Yeah, unexpurgated, handy dandy, and cats in the well. Um, so if you're if you're a conspiracy theorist and you're wondering why that's not present well, in uh, right. Telltale Signs, you're probably going to get the bootleg series 37 <laughs> complete handy dandy sessions. Okay, <laughs> I, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm on board for that. That's, oh, that's 
Wow. That's amazing. That is, that is, uh, oh, and, good and I, I can tell you, I would listen to 34 minutes of handy dandy. Oh, I totally would. Oh, I would, completely would. Yeah. I wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, he's, he's proving with these, these epic songs now that he can keep you enthralled for 20 minutes and it doesn't feel like it's 20 minutes. So sure. I'd hear that. I mean, what, I mean, supposedly, um, I think it's, it's 10,000 men, the way that that song opens up, we're kind of getting off handy dandy a little bit um, on 10,000 men, the way that song, it opens with that kind of sound. Mm-hmm. That's, that's apparently uh, the re- the recording, the recording engineer realized Bob was not just screwing around, was actually starting to record. And that's like, apparently <laughs> like the, some sort of mechanical equipment, like literally like gearing up into, Oh boy. <laughs> you know, like gearing into place yeah. so we could start recording or something. So I, I, I love all the, I, I love stories of people that have had to deal with him in the recording studio. Those just just crack me the hell up because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, where he has that sort of impish sense of humor. Um, I again, we're getting off handy dandy, but it, to me, it's it's relevant. There is a quote from when Bob did a bunch of those folk covers, mm-hmm. the electric band that that was apparently originally going to be good as I've been to you, and then all that stuff got scotched, and he decided to do the acoustic thing. There was a quote from the recording engineer for those sessions, and he said, for the first two or three days, he said, I had my finger on the record button at all times, and he said all he was doing was just screwing around. And he said, so I finally got bored and got up to adjust the compressor. And all of a sudden, Bob starts recording, starts <laughs> playing a song. So it's like, he says he loves to catch you unawares like that. So it's like he Bob did. just loves yeah. screwing around. And so before we before we wrap up this, because we've been talking about Handy Danny for, for 49 <laughs> minutes. There is, there is a, a, one other story I want to relate because I think it has something to do with what you've been talking about where – and I think this was an interview he gave with Kurt Loder for Rolling Stone, where he was talking about his house, talking about this Malibu house. And it, apparently someone asked him, or maybe Kurt Loder even said, like, how did this house is like this monstrous thing? How did it, you know, how did it come about? Because the, the original house that Bob bought was not that big. And he said, apparently, um, when Bob was off on tour, he hired, or somebody in his organization hired, you know, working men, crewmen, uh, to refurbish it. And so these guys were working on it. And apparently, as Bob tells the story, these people weren't terribly supervised. So he said, like, basically, they just were like, oh, let's just keep adding rooms. That way this job never gets finished. <laughs> and he said it felt like every every local construction worker that walked by, somebody was like, hey, you want to work on Bob Dylan's house? They were like, yeah, sure. All right. Why not? <laughs> Hand me, you know, here's a hammer and some nails. And they said, the again, this is Bob's perception of other people's perception of him was that, ah, this guy's loaded. What difference does it make? Yeah. He does, doesn't matter how much we charge him. He's got tons of money. So let's just keep, let's just keep putting in rooms on this. He said, that's how the house became this gargantuan thing. And so to me, I'm like, I think about that story. It's like, that's, that's his view of what these guys thought of him. I'm like, ah, this guy, ah, he won't care. He won't he's care. A, yeah. He's a handy dandy. What difference yeah. does it make? So, okay, <laughs> fine. So. <laughs> I, I I love all that. And the one last thing I do want to mention before we wrap up is live. This song, yeah. <laughs> again, Bob being a trickster, this song has been played entirely once one live yep. in June of 2008 in Spain. Uh, I've never heard that version. I don't know if it's on YouTube or anything. I, w- I, 
I hope that it is because I'd love to listen to it. It it is on YouTube. Oh, it is. And okay. It, and it's got a little bit of a, a shuffle feel to it, kind of like okay. Mississippi. Uh, okay. So it, it's not full on like uh, Rolling Stone with the organ uh, when he played it live, which I always thought maybe that was one of the reasons he didn't play it live was I think the crowd would be so amped up for like a Rolling Stone. And then when he comes out with handy dandy controversy surrounds him, they'd all go, Oh, <laughs> sit back down. Uh, well, but he does, will, he does a nice job on it. Life. All right. I will have to go track that down until I just love that. He played it once. Once. Yeah. <laughs> just got him. He just got a crazy <laughs> rant. Hey, let's do handy. Day. And then, you know, I, the way this stuff works, it's like that stuff has to be rehearsed. It's not like you can just pull it out. It has to. Right. So at some point they must've rehearsed it. Yeah, and, the and, band the band sounded great. And right. He was a little tentative, but once again, he gets into it at the end, and he really brings it home. That's really funny. So yeah, I, I come at, He only got. He's like, ah, oh, that's just the one time. That's it. So, and you I, know uh, that was the last song from Under the Red Sky to get a live debut, which makes it one of the few albums that he's played every song live in concert. He's played. He's played ten thousand men live. I didn't he know has, that. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, well, that might, no, that might be one time only as well. Maybe, but. maybe so. I mean, I, I people that are too young to remember when this album came out, it was pretty savaged on release. I mean, a lot of critics were like, "Really?" Like, because they mm-hmm. were expecting, I think, "Oh Mercy" too. And I mean, my God, how many years do you have to listen to Bob Dylan to know he is not going to give you more of what you wanted? That he's just, even if it's in his own best interest to do it, he's not going to. And mm-hmm. so he's going to do, I mean, so you could not get a more different record uh, from Under the Red Sky from Omer, maybe Desire and Blood on the Tracks, and you could say, or the two, you know, or Blood on, I guess, Blonde on Blonde and John Wesley Harding. All right, I, never mind. Ignore what I just said. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, I mean, but at, the, at the time, it, it was interesting because I love Omercity and I love the I Traveling Wilburys album, but those albums are very produced. And, and I'm okay with them being very produced, but you pick up from Bob occasionally that he's maybe not as comfortable with that much production. Yeah. And, and everybody gives uh, good as I've been to you and um, world gone wrong, uh, world gone wrong credit with kind of a, let's get back to the basics um, approach. And then he took that and went into time out of mind, but what's more back to the basics folk music, like than fairy tales. I yeah. mean, that even predates uh, folk music and a yeah. lot of those songs. And really it's a form of, uh, of folk communication, folk songs, folk stories. So really, we should look at all three of these albums as kind of a way of Bob getting back in touch with his roots in some form or another before really taking, you know, that last strong leg of his career that kind of kicked off with Time Out of Mind. So yeah. people need to give Under the Red Sky a little bit more credit, and I think this is the best song on the album, best performance on the album by far. I, I would agree with that. So, you know, let, let's end it here. I, I, again, I was so happy to be talking about the song because I love it. It's really one of my favorites. But when I go into this, I never know how much time, you know, I, I don't have any minimums in mind for these episodes, but I never, I never went in my wildest dreams would have thought we would get an hour out of, <laughs> out of handy dandy. So uh, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. This was just a blast. Thank you. This was great talking to you. Yeah, I had the time of my life, Rob. I hope I get the chance to talk to you again. And uh, promise me uh, when they do release the 34-minute version <laughs> on the next Bootleg series that uh, you'll have me back on. <laughs> That's, that is a promise. That is an absolute <laughs> promise. So why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? 
Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at MattSimo9, and I uh, would love to talk about Bob Dylan uh, 24 hours a day with anybody who's interested. All right, very cool. Of course, uh, for us, if you want to follow the show, go to the website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, and Henry Bernstein for their support of Pod Dylan. Hey, everybody, don't you want to be mentioned on this show? I think, you, I think you'd enjoy it. So just go to patreon.com, so it's FW Podcast, and support Pod Dylan, support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and I will mention you here. I'll even add the word Wilbury to your name just to make it extra fun. So <laughs> go over to Patreon and, uh, and throw, a, throw that minstrel boy a coin, why don't you? So anyway, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will see you later. Bye-bye.